I just want to say, if it hasn't been said to you already, from me to you, so glad you're here. Genuinely, so glad you're here. Join me as we pray. We're going to dive right in. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. You're so good. And we just celebrate your goodness today. Would you remind us that you are home today? Would you speak and help me to listen? Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So if you missed last week, or if you were here, maybe you did or did not catch that I'm actually a huge nerd. So part of that is I love Star Wars. And I was talking to Pastor Abner about the snake because he's a little Millennium Falcon on his key ring. But I love Star Wars. And not only do I love Star Wars, here's the thing. I mentioned Star Wars last week, but my nerddom goes very deep. And I feel like I just have to like ease you guys into it because I don't want to scare you away. So I'm like, I'm really nerdy. So basically what that means is, you know, I love like science fiction, fantasy, you know, love reading the Chronicles of Narnia growing up, the Lord of the Rings, stuff like that. When it comes to things like comic books, video games, Japanese anime, like I'm, that's all me. So if that's you, like hit me up. Let's talk. Let's talk about it. Let's go. I want to know, like, what are you watching? What are you reading? Like, what are you, what are you into? Because I'm all into that, like, nerdy, nerdy stuff. And the reason I'm into it, number one, is because it's dope. And number two, because, not all of it, but a lot of it. Some of it's a little sketchy. So we, we, we got we to gotta have discernment. But I love a lot of it because it ends up telling us stories, just like this book is telling us stories. I'm a big believer that a lot of the stories we tell as humans are actually echoes and reflections of this story. But one of those nerdy pieces of things that I love is actually Marvel comic books. I grew up loving like comic books and superheroes, stuff like that. And we're not going to debate who's the best superhero or who's the best on the, you know, the Avengers or whatever, or if, like what movie is the best. Of course, it's Endgame. Uh, and then Black Panther is right below it. But uh, we can debate. I'll, man, I'll debate you. Let's go. Um, after, after. But one of my mo- uh, favorite movies from Marvel that come out, came out recently was uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. I think I have a little picture of it. Spider-Man No Way Home. And No Way Home is it's a movie about Spider-Man. Now, if you're... Let's just pause right here. If you're not movie-inclined, superhero-inclined, all of this stuff is foreign to you, maybe you've never seen it or you're not interested, I'll give you the breakdown just so you know. I'm not going to spoil it because I'm a big believer. I don't believe in spoilers. That's important to me because I want. it's important to experience the story. But the basic premise is a series of unfortunate events leads Spider-Man to a situation where he has all these characters. I'm not going to say who because that would be a spoiler. But he leads Spider-Man to have all of these characters from different universes join his universe. All of a sudden, the universes are mixed up. Now, again, if you're not you know, into this stuff, you're, you're like different universe. What are you talking about? Essentially, all these different characters who are supposed to be in one world end up in his world. And they're all confused. He's trying to figure out, how do I get these people home? How do I return them to where they belong? How do I find the way home? And this movie is silly and nerdy and it's about superheroes and there's all sorts of explosions and, you know, quips and fun times. But really, at its core, and this is why I love movies like this, is because it's about finding the way home. And the question really at the core of this movie is, what is the way home? How, how do we get home? And I think maybe a lot of us maybe have asked that question as well. How do we get home? See, there's something powerful, I believe, about the idea of home, about the idea of home, right? There's, there's something powerful and profound and simple. It's hard to put your finger on, but it's, it's there. We all sort of feel it, the idea of 
home. Now, for the freshmen in the room, many of you are feeling this right now. Maybe you're far from home or away from home for the very first time. You're living in a dorm room for maybe the first time. And, you know, you're feeling that already, right? The bed isn't quite the same. It's not the same as your bed at home, right? I see a couple of you nodding your heads or shaking your heads, right? It's not the same. The toilet just doesn't hit the same. You know, there's nothing like the toilet at home. We're not going to play. There's nothing like the toilet at home. But something familiar and homey and that resonates. You're like, ah, this is, this is the place for me where I feel safe, where I can let my guard down. A lot of the things that our friends shared with us about home, there's something powerful about the idea of home. And really, you know, I'm making light, I'm, I'm joking a little, but really what it's getting at is a truth that often I think what home is, the very stuff of home is hard to put your finger on. It's hard to quite nail it down. Like, what is home exactly? But really, I think a lot of us, we intuitively and almost immediately sense when something is not home, right? We have this, we have this feeling almost immediately, oh, this is not home. And some of us have stories like that, right? For some of us, home was a beautiful place, a joyful experience when we think back. For me, I have stories like that with my dad. And my parents and I were, were really close. They're some of my best friends. And I just have so many memories of, like that, of that growing up in my early years of just like food and fun. And I could just go down the line of all these different memories that I had growing up. So some of us have really positive experiences of home where we, we think back to memories of, of family and joy. But then others of us, Maybe we don't share that same feeling. When we think of home, the idea of home is not positive. It actually brings up a lot of hurt and, and maybe even harm, grief, trauma, pain, really difficult, challenging experiences. And it seems like for many of us, the reason why it's so hard sometimes when we think back to home, maybe if you have an experience or a journey you're thinking back to now, I feel like sometimes it, the reason it hurts is because we intuitively sense in our heart how it could have or should have been, right? Somewhere, somewhere within us knows, man, something was off here. It shouldn't have gone down like that. It should have been different. It should have been better. My parents or some family member or some circumstance, it should have been better. It should have been better. Well, someone in this book relates a lot with, I think, a complicated relationship with family and home is a guy named Jacob. Now, many of us know the story of Jacob, but if you're here for the first time, maybe you're new to church, you're new to Christianity, um, this is your very first uh, weekend here, I'll just give you a brief summary. The idea of Jacob and the story of Jacob is a story about two brothers, Jacob and his brother Esau. Now Esau was the older brother and Esau, is, his name is kind of fun because in the original language that the Bible is written in, the Bible is written not in English but in Hebrew and Greek and a little Aramaic. So there's a, a little bit of a language barrier. Those of you who are Spanish speakers, you know what that's like. But in the original language, Esau, his name means Harry. Just means Harry. So when he came out of the womb, all his parents can think of was, man, he looks hairy. So we're going to name him Harry. His name just means Harry. Esau was the outdoorsman. He was the big beefy guy who went outside and he hunted and trapped and he got brought back game and he fought in battles. And that was kind of the guy that he was. In fact, the Bible describes him as a skillful hunter in Genesis 25, a skillful hunter, a man of the field. This was Esau, the older brother. 
The younger brother, Jacob, who we're going to focus on today, he was younger. He wasn't quite as interested in the things that Esau was interested in. He's described in the text as a quiet man dwelling in tents. How would you like that to be your moniker? Eden, dweller of tents. I love that. He was a quiet man, dweller in tents. So while Esau was out hunting animals and fighting battles and getting dirty in the land, Jacob was at home. He was making food. He was at home with his mom. In that way, I resonate with him. I love my mom a lot. So he was a bit of a mama's boy, which there's no shame in that, which I love. But Jacob, he was a quiet man dwelling in tents. And as the story goes, in this time period, we had a situation where oftentimes the older brother in a family, he was given something called a birthright or an inheritance. A lot of us know the idea of inheritance, but essentially it was, you know, a family, and usually in this day, all of this was male-dominated. So the men in the family, the husband, he would work his whole life and gather this, all of this wealth, you know, livestock, servants, money, sometimes wives, servants, all these things, and property, land, tents, buildings. And he would gather all this property to himself. And then when he's about to die, he would hand that over to his oldest son. Now, Esau was the oldest son. And as the story goes, Jacob was a little bit of a trickster. He was trying to, he, he pretty much felt like, man, I'm the youngest, but I'm going to get mine. So Jacob, what he does is he, him and, his, him and his mom, they concoct this plan to steal the inheritance from the older brother. So they, they go through all this thing. He puts on this like animal fur because Esau was hairy. His name is Harry. So he puts on this animal fur and he goes into his father's tent and his father's almost blind. So he can't quite see him. And he goes into the tent and He's like, hey, it's me, your son Esau. And his father, whose name is Isaac, his father said, you don't sound like Esau. It was a bit of a bruh moment. He's like, bro, you don't, something's off. You don't sound like Esau. You sound like my son, Jacob. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm Esau. Or rather, I'm Esau. That's probably what he had to do. He's like, nah, I'm Esau. What are you talking about? I'm Esau. What do you mean? And so his father's like, okay, well, I guess you're Esau. Why don't you come close so I can feel you? So he comes close. He feels the arms. He feels the hair, which says a lot. If you put like, it says it was like sheep or goat skins. <laughs> the fact that Esau was that hairy that his arms felt like sheep or goat skins is wild. He probably should have had that checked out. <laughs> to be honest, that feels like a condition of some kind. <laughs> but Jacob comes in, he impersonates his brother, he lies to his father, and his father ends up giving him the inheritance, gives him everything. He makes him the lord of their whole family. And in that time period, they, they were sort of a nomadic family group. And his father, Isaac, was a really wealthy man. He had all of this livestock and servants and property and money. And he essentially gives that over to Jacob. And Jacob becomes the head of the family in that moment. Later on, Esau comes back and he says, Father, I'm home. I brought this, this animal. I'm going to cook it for you and I'm ready to receive my inheritance. And Esau, excuse me, the father says, what do you mean? You were just in here. He says, what do you mean? I, I, I wasn't. I'm, this is the first time I've seen you today essentially, right? And the father says, no, I, I, I gave the blessing already away. I gave the blessing of the inheritance away. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it must have been your brother who stole it. And in that moment, Esau decides he's going to murder Jacob. He's going to kill him. Because essentially, his whole livelihood has been given away. The livelihood that as the older brother, he rightly deserved was given away. And so Jacob goes to his mom. Once again, he's a bit of a, a mama's boy. He goes to his mom. He says, what do I do? Where do I go? And his mom says, here's what you do. You need to flee. Like, get out of here so he doesn't kill you and go to my brother, his uncle. Go to my brother Laban's house and he'll protect you. So you need to like get out. So Jacob flees. He runs. 
And that's where we pick up his story. Because on the way to his uncle's house, something happens. Here's what happens. I'm going to read Genesis 28, verse 11. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So Jacob, he's on his way to his uncle's house and he's, and he's tired. He lays down one night. He's like, okay, I'm just going to get some rest. He puts the stone under his head. He doesn't even have a pillow. He uses a, a rock to sleep on. And he ends up having this dream. And in this dream, he sees this stairway connecting heaven and earth and all these angels going back and forth, traveling alongside. And at the top of the stairs, he sees God himself and God speaks. And I want you to listen to what God says. Verse 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So he has this dream. It's a profound moment. And he recognizes that something happened here. And the story continues. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God in the original language, or God's home, God's home. So here's what I want you to catch. Jacob does something wild. He's, he's the definition of wilding. He's wilding out. He pretty much, he's a liar, a cheater. He betrays his family. He lies to his father. So he's living in a state of chaos, ruin, pain. I mean, talk about like family baggage and trauma. Some of y'all are thinking of like your stories or the stories that are connected to you and your family, stories of maybe similar moments of, of pain, of hurt, maybe even betrayal, heartache, heartbreak, maybe people you haven't spoken to for a while, maybe deep hurt. And Jacob and Esau was a story like this. He, he messes up really, really bad. He steals his brother's inheritance, impersonates his brother, tricks his father, and flees. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's betrayed his own family, and he was too much of a coward to even own it. He runs away. He can't even face up to what he did. Sometimes that's almost the hardest part, right? When someone harms you, but they can't even take ownership of that harm. Sometimes that's the hardest part, and, and, and you kind of just wish and crave. Man, I, I wish you could just acknowledge what you did. I wish you would just even just see that this was hurtful and harmful for me. This is a major family mess, and some of us resonate a lot. Jacob doesn't deserve forgiveness in the moment. He, he didn't even apologize. He's a, he's a hot mess. He's lost. He's hiding from his brother. And on his escape, he lays down to sleep on a rock, and God meets him there. I believe... This story is really important for us. And here's what I want you to catch. Is that often many of us, as maybe we were growing up, we were either specifically taught or somewhere along the way we caught 
or just somehow picked up the idea that Christianity was a stairway. It was a stairway. And what do I mean by a stairway? I mean that if I could only find the stairway and climb it high enough, I could get to God somehow and I could find my way home. And I say that to you because that was kind of the religion and Christianity that I was brought up with. If I could only do all these things perfectly, climb these steps, I could somehow find my way and at the very top is God and I could get there somehow. And if I could only make myself good enough to get there to the top, then God would say, man, good job, well done. You did it, you, you, you were perfect, you made it. You were a vegan your whole life. <laughs> you did all the things, right? So many of us, I think, maybe either we were taught or we were handed or maybe we just somehow caught or picked up the idea along the way that Christianity was a stairway that I had to climb. And if I could somehow climb it, I could find my way home. Man, but I'm here to announce good news to you that this book is not the story of how to find the way home. This book is not the story of how to get to heaven. This book is not the story of here are the things you need to do to be in God's good graces. And that might be a revolutionary idea to you, to some of you, because that's the exact idea that you were taught about this book. But I'm here to tell you that this book is actually teaching the idea that I don't have to find my way home, but that actually home finds me. And this is so important and so revolutionary in the history of religion and so counterintuitive that it actually flies under the radar so easily and we so easily make it into the other thing. But this is the thing, the idea that home actually comes and finds you. This is the thing that all the New Testament writers were excited about. This is the thing that they all lived and they all suffered and they all died for was the idea that this book is actually good news. It's not more news of more work that you have to do to make yourself better, to clean yourself up, to be a more moral person. That's, that's not at all what this book is about. Rather, it's the story of a God who comes, he sees, and he finds you, and he actually brings home to you. I'm gonna show you in the text really quick with just a couple verses. Because I think sometimes when we hear stuff like this, um, at least for me, I'm tempted to think, well, what are you talking about? That sounds like some sort of like other thing besides Christianity. That sounds like some sort of an agenda or some sort of, sounds like something they're teaching at like, you know, on the West Coast, which is where I'm from. <laughs> so what I want to do, and I hope you hear my heart, and we're going to say this over and over throughout this series, is that my heart is not to share with you my personal ideas or agenda but rather to read this book and see what it says and then believe and do those things. That's what my heart is. My heart is not some other thing, but it's to actually have a high view of this and read this and let this lead us to where it says that we're supposed to go. So that's my heart. I'm not trying to trick you or pull the wool over your eyes. So just a couple of verses, classic one. Maybe if you grew up in church, you know this verse, but if you're new to church, maybe you haven't heard it, John 3, 16, where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Simple verse, we quote it all the time. I think I've seen it on like Forever 21 bags. <laughs> Sometimes you see it on like uh, football players, jerseys and stuff. It's just like a really popular verse, but really it's, it's actually a completely revolutionary verse. See, so much of the history of religion was the idea of the stairway, 
was the idea that if, man, if I can only do these things to get to God, if I can only appease the God somehow, if I can only like harm myself or sacrifice enough or, or sacrifice my children or do some sort of strange, odd practice, or if I can only eat this certain way or not eat this certain way, if I can only do these things and climb the stairway, then somehow the divine would respond to me. So this is all, most of the history of religion and most of, a, of the religions in the world today. When you think of most of the world religions, and I have, I have friends who are Buddhist, Hindu, uh, you know, Sikhs, even... I even know a Wiccan. He's a friend of mine. So I'm not coming at other religions, but what I am saying is a lot of these religions, they teach the idea of the stairway. I have to do X things, climb these steps to get to the divine. But Christianity is a fundamentally different idea. I'm not climbing the stairway, but that the idea that God actually looked at the world and he said, I'm going to bring myself there. I'm, you don't have to climb to get to me, but rather I'm coming to you. I'm going to come and I'm going to do it. You can't do it. So I'm going to do it. I'm actually coming to rescue you. I'm not building a stairway for you to climb. So you have to come into a temple or a church or a place to do the things, but rather I'm going to come to you. Second verse, John 14, verse six, Jesus says, he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Another classic verse. And sometimes Again, in religion, it's so easy to look at and try and figure out, man, what is the way? And really, that's really the question at the heart of that Spider-Man movie, right? Like, what is the way home? How do we get these people home? How do we find our way home? And in that movie, the whole movie is about doing all these different schemes. And Spider-Man, Peter Parker, he's doing all, all that he can do to like do all these schemes and like try and you know find a way to manage somehow to get these guys home. But really, what Jesus comes is he comes to do, what he comes to do and what he comes to say is that he's actually the way. And it's really a revolutionary idea that the way home is not a stairway or a ladder, steps to climb, things to do, things to check off, laws to keep, but rather a person. The way home is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's all I'm here to present to you today. And so here's the million dollar question as we, as we wrap up, as we end. Here's the million dollar question for you. What would it look like for us to be a church like home? What would it look like to be a church where people feel found? What would that look like? And this is so crucial, friends, because so often we place the burden of finding home on the person who's trying to find it. We place this burden. We feel like, man, it's your job. You do the work. Even if you're here, even if you're already in the space, you do the work to find home. And now I agree. And if you've been, you've heard me preach before, you've been in the space before, I've said before, we ought to remember that there is a decision that we have to make at the end of the day. God will not force you to accept his love. You have to let him love you you have to say yes to family. There is a decision point. But I wonder, and sometimes we're putting burdens on people that Jesus never put on. So what would it be like if we were a church that felt like when you came here, you felt like you were found. You felt like, oh, this is home. 
famous poet, Mary Oliver, she tells the story of a walk that she went on in Hawaii. Um, Hawaii's been on my mind recently a lot just because of the fires that are going on. And one of my best friends, he lives over there. Um, so I've been thinking about him a lot. I've been praying for them a lot because it's really crazy over there. Um, a lot of lives have been lost, homes that have been lost, people who've lost everything. So I'm thinking about Hawaii a lot. But Mary, she tells the story of the trip that she went on. She was walking along the shores of Hawaii and she got to this place where the lava kind of had, had come up on the shore and it had, uh, it had hardened, right? So it's all this black, like this beautiful lava, like intersecting with the ocean. And she follows it. She tells a story about how she follows this kind of like winding trail along this lava. And she ends up coming around this bend where she finds this little hidden cove, this little like secret place. And she, she describes going in it. And when she comes upon it, she finds this little tiny pond there. And right in front of the pond were stacked, a little stack of stones. Just like the stack that Jacob made. And she describes thinking something special happened here for someone. The fact that they would make this little altar, this little monument, just to remember that someone actually experienced home here in this place. I've said a lot today. We were joking around earlier. We we're talking about Spider-Man. We went all over the place. I hope, I hope it was, you, were, you, were, you were with me. But really what I'm getting at is the question, what would it look like for Elevate, for this church, for Keen, to be a space like that? And that's what we're going to discover over the next four weeks. We're going to journey together. And I hope you'll come along.